0: Big day for you know consumers, a big day for Mother Nature, a big day for this country, not just this state. When you take on big oil, they usually roll you. Exactly what they've been doing to consumers for years and years and years. Yes, it is. And they tried to do it to California. Didn't get away with it.
1: Maybe. We'll discuss it. Fall off my chair And I'm wondering How i get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right
0: Here I am Stuck in the middle With you
1: baby. Yep from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast. That's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, and Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, and the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans. NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. (laughs) Blanketing Planet Earth, five uh, or more days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. And all around, swell fellow says me from com. Thank you very much for joining us today. It has been an insane several news days, uh, following, of course, on the heels of an insane news week last week, which at least uh, included uh, some encouraging news for the beginning of some liability for the wildly corrupt propaganda institution known as Fox News, the beginning of some criminal accountability for our wildly corrupt former president, the beginning of some electoral accountability for the corrupt, gerrymandered Republican Party in Wisconsin at its Supreme Court, and at least some shame, some shame for the wildly corrupt Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas after decades of secretly accepting millions of dollars in luxury vacations from a top GOP donor, yes, in violation of the law that is supposed to require even Supreme Court justices to disclose such gifts. All of that pretty positive news overall in a nation which, frankly, could use some positive news these days. Because then, of course, late in the week, some disturbing news to counter much of that from the appalling racist decision by Republicans in the Tennessee legislature to expel two young black assemblymen for th- having the temerity to participate in a peaceful protest of gun violence after a school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. We have some breaking news on that. Just minutes ago, a Nashville uh, area county council has voted to name expelled state rep Justin Jones to fill his own vacated seat, reversing Republican lawmakers who ousted him. Uh, And another uh, black legislator to uh, for for staging a gun control protest on the House floor as Reuters reports it. So nice going, Republicans. Not only did you reveal yourself to be out and out blatant racists, uh, but it was all for naught because the guy you threw out is now going to be an assemblyman all over again.
2: Oopsie. Oh, well. (sighs) Funny how that turned out.
1: Oops. Yeah. Hi, Desi Doyan. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) Uh, Also, by the way, a a far right wing activist uh, late last week, a Trump appointed federal judge who for the first time in U.S. history decided to overrule the FDA's approval of a popular safe drug that has been used for abortion in this country for more than 20 years Uh, I will have more on that with a guest coming up a little bit later in today's show, along with details on what the uh, state of Idaho is now threatening doctors with incredibly under what is already regarded by many as the most extreme abortion law in the nation. And, of course, we begin the week with yet another mass shooting, this time at a, uh, a bank in Louisville, Kentucky. That is said to have uh, resulted in the deaths of at least five people, including the shooter, and has injured several others. If my count is correct, I believe that's the 148th mass shooting since the uh, beginning of 2023. More on all of those stories, no doubt, in the days ahead, but I want to begin today. With a story that, thanks in no small part to all of those other stories, frankly, has not received the attention that I believe it deserves uh, over the past couple of weeks. We'll talk to my guest about that momentarily. It's a story of oversight and accountability as well, or at least the beginning of uh, that, not just for folks here in California, but potentially everywhere else in the nation and maybe even across the globe. But it begins, at least, here in the Golden State, though it received very little notice over the past few weeks. Californians pay the highest fuel prices in the nation. Last summer, they handed over as much as $2.60 more per gallon than the national average. Why? Well, it is apparently very difficult to know why for certain. Though the state requires a special blend for its uh, fuel, which has helped places like Los Angeles see a drastic reduction in smog in recent decades, uh, it's far from clear that the full $2.60 more that we in California were forced to pay last year for gas is actually due to any special requirements for our special type of gas or our (coughs) larger-than-average gas taxes that we have here in California or even due to supply shortages around the world, thanks to both Russia's war on Ukraine and OPEC's decreased production. In fact, U.S. gas prices, not just in California, uh, have been higher than usual following both the worst of the COVID pandemic and the war against Ukraine. But at the same time, oil companies have reported all-time record profits over that very same period. So if prices need to rise to counter some sort of shortage on the global market, they certainly did not need to rise high enough to ensure all-time record profits for the big oil majors, did they? But they did. And nowhere in the U.S. did that happen more so than here in California. So why? Well, California Governor Gavin Newsom has since last fall, according to the environmental media outlet Grist, targeted oil companies that operate in the state, blaming them for high gas prices and calling for a windfall tax. In December, he convened a special legislative session and proposed that the legislature limit refinery profits and establish fines for those that exceed that cap. But even Democratic allies worried that the state lacked enough information to do that. Some also feared that the legislation would encourage refineries to produce less gasoline or sell what they make out of state, thus increasing the prices for Californians. So late last month, the governor offered a revised bill that gave the State Energy Commission the authority to investigate and define and set limits on price gouging by the big oil companies. That bill moved quickly and uh, passed both the Assembly and the Senate handily despite huge opposition from the oil and gas industry and, of course, their right-wing supporters. Starting in June of this year, oil companies must provide the commission with detailed information about their inventory, monthly profit margins per ga- barrel of gasoline sold, and spot market transactions that, among other things, set the price retailers' pay for gasoline the companies also must report planned maintenance shutdowns because yes they blame shutdowns for oh we had a shutdown refinery therefore everyone's uh, gas prices go up was that shutdown needed don't know they sure do seem to happen a lot don't they The state's watchdog division will now have authority to subpoena oil companies for information. Any profit threshold and penalty it eventually sets would be determined through a public rulemaking process and must account for any adverse impacts to consumers. Well, huzzah. The fact that the state's five oil refineries actually export some of their product out of state from a market with the nation's highest prices, even after accounting for taxes. Well, that indicates there is not a shortage to explain that spike in pricing that does look suspiciously like, yes, price gouging. That, according to Robert McCullough, an economist who has studied energy markets for decades, quote, the two best ways to keep gasoline prices low are transparency and disincentives, he told Grist. Governor Newsom's law has both. As an example, he cited the notorious 2001 uh, California energy crisis where energy traders drove up prices through manipulating the market to uh, contribute to severe power shortages in much of the state. The crisis came to a close on June 10, 2001, says McCullough, the day that the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission imposed effective price caps. Then the crisis was over. He notes the next day the plants stopped breaking down. What do you know? The prices fell and the Enron scams ceased simply because there was no longer an incentive to misbehave. Imagine that. Oversight matters, apparently. Spiking gas prices spurred by Russia's invasion of Ukraine and oil industry profits of $200 billion have prompted widespread calls uh, last year for price-gouging investigations. President Biden even threatened to impose a windfall tax on big oil if it did not invest at least some of those record profits into lowering costs. But the sector's financial secrecy and its efforts to blame environmental regulations for the high cost of filling up, well, that's made price gouging notoriously difficult to prove. It didn't help, by the way, that every single Republican in the U.S. House voted against an anti-price gouging law proposed by Democrats last year, even as those very same Republicans were trying to blame Joe Biden for big oil's war profiteering. But California, where gasoline hit an average of $6.44 a gallon last summer, is hoping to put a stop to that gouging. Last month, Governor Newsom signed legislation bringing unprecedented transparency to how oil companies like Chevron, Phillips 66, Valero, how they operate in the state. It also creates a market oversight division within the California Energy Commission that could, depending on its findings, limit gas refining margins the amount that refineries earn per barrel of gas after subtracting production costs. Any ceiling the commission establishes would come with a penalty for those companies that exceed it. The oil companies and their supporters on the right fought hard against this initiative, as you might have expected. But as you might not have expected, they appear to have lost this fight for now against Gavin Newsom. Here is uh, Governor Newsom at the uh, recent signing ceremony for this law for what he described as a landmark measure, not just for the state of California, but
0: for the entire nation and the world. Why is it that we're paying, at peak, $2.61 more per gallon of gasoline than the national average? What is it in this state, year after year, that defines the terms of the gap that we pay that's unique in this nation. When you consider all the fees, all the unique environmental blends, there was still no justification coming from the oil companies. That mystery surcharge remains a mystery to this day. But finally, we have the ability now to get into that black box and put the light of day to begin to understand this web of complexity on the spot markets, the refineries, the relationships to the gas stations, global, not just domestic supply. Finally, we're in a position to look our constituents in the eye and say, we now have a better understanding of why you're being taken advantage of. Poor people, hard working folks, folks out there with you know, 1980 old beaten down cars driving one, two hours a day to work, Folks out there in rural parts of California just struggling to make ends meet, $2.61 more per gallon, $6.42. That was in the aggregate. Folks down in L.A., it's up to $9 for gasoline at the time when oil, crude oil prices were dropping and there were no increases in taxes, no increases in fees in the state of California.
1: So, yeah. Maybe the beginnings of some accountability for the big oil companies here, at least in California. The new law is the first in the nation that attempts to bar big oil. From inflating gasoline prices, blaming those increases on government regulations, and then using profits to block environmental and climate policies. That, according to Cassie Siegel, senior legal counsel with the Center for Biological Diversity, Siegel, who has uh, spent more than a decade working on oil and gas issues in the state, she notes that... um, The uh, industry recently spent $20 million to place a referendum on next year's ballot to try to roll back health protections for neighborhoods impacted by drilling. Quote, their number one talking point is that the protections will increase gas prices, she said. But the hearings for this bill showed that that's not true. The real culprit? Yes. Is price gouging. Joining us now is Cassie Siegel, director of the nonprofit Center for Biological Diversity's Climate Law Institute, and climate director for the center uh, for the Center's Action Fund where she leads campaigns and litigation focused on reducing climate warming, greenhouse gases and other pollution and the protection of wildlife and communities threatened by climate disruption. Cassie Siegel, uh, welcome to the broadcast. If our uh, Zoom hookup is working here, Cassie, are you there?
2: I'm here. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. It's great to be with you.
1: Great to have you here. Uh, sorry, we're we're wrestling, as usual, with some uh, technical issues, but you're coming in loud and clear at this point. Uh, with everything else going on in the news, and there is a lot of it, uh, this measure has not received the attention I think it deserves, either nationally or even just here in California. Is this a... Uh, as, as landmark a measure as it appears to be to me, the first time any of us really uh, at the state or federal level will have this sort of mandated insight into uh, an oversight of the oil companies, the way they operate, um, that you know they seem to rise, raise prices at will, uh, whether market conditions demand it or not. Uh, is this uh, the big deal that it sure seems like to me?
2: I think it is, and I think that was an absolutely awesome uh, introduction. And one of the things that I think is so important about this new law is that it directly confronts the big oil playbook Mm -hmm. that we we, we see them carrying out. Big oil knows that its days are numbered. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it is a declining industry. It's declining first here in California, but they have a plan to maximize their profits and maximize the damage they do on the way out the door. And this new bill, the first of its kind in the country, is a really important part of pushing back on that and protecting Californians from this destructive industry.
1: As noted uh, at the federal level, Joe Biden and the Democrats had been trying to take on the oil majors, uh, an anti-price gouging bill there, uh, what they call price gouging, only to be prevented by Republicans in Congress. Is there any real question at this point as to whether there is price gouging going on by the industry and if so is the California measure now designed to reveal the hard evidence of that or uh, or to prevent it or or both
2: yeah it's it's both and that's exactly the case and about 99% of um, oil refining in California is done by only five companies. And so California is very vulnerable mm-hmm. to this price gouging. There has been essentially zero transparency or oversight um, uh, of, of the situation, but, but we can see clearly that when prices spiked, the profits spiked Mm -hmm. of these refiners. So, you know, it's been called the mystery surcharge, but it's really not that much of a mystery. (laughs) Um, And and this bill directly confronts that. The California Energy Commission is now going to have the power to go directly get the information that it needs to assess the price gouging, to to assess a penalty, Mm -hmm. if it continues to go on and to otherwise regulate this industry to protect Californians.
1: Jamie Court, the uh, president of the nonprofit Consumer Watchdog, notes that uh, oil refineries have historically made about $0.32 cents of profit per gallon. Last year, their average for the year was $0.66 cents per gallon. Again, that's not the uh, the price that they had to raise it because of uh, per- shortages, real or perceived. Um, but... If I feel like I just need to spell this out, Cassie. Uh, if they are making record profits, if they are making, you know, 66 cents of profit per gallon rather than 32 cents, how can that not be price gouging? I mean, what is there actually left to figure out here?
2: That, that is exactly the point. And, you know, it, it may be that there is price gouging going on at the retail level, too. Mm-hmm. Some industry observers, you know, they have a debate. How much is at the refining level and how much is at the retail level? But regardless, it's clear that the greedy profiteering is going on. And it needs to end. California is by far the most profitable market for the oil industry. They make 30 percent more profit here in California than any other Part of the country,
1: well, and now what should their profits be? And I guess we have to ask this question because now you're going to have some sort of an oversight board who sh- will determine uh, what is a fair amount of pros- uh, profit versus what is actually uh, price gouging. Now, when and I also wonder, you know, when it comes to things like home heating there's a state board that determines, you know, what the rate will be. But that is not the case with gasoline. Right. Is is there any reason that gas, gasoline is not regulated in the same way that, you know, home heating is, for example?
2: The reason is that the oil industry is the richest and most powerful industry on Earth. Mm. And for over one hundred and fifty years, this industry has gotten its way in California. And that's the only reason. And, you know, as you mentioned, Price caps work, and so the California Energy Commission will have the um, power to set um, to set a, a, um, a profit cap, and to issue a penalty if the um, companies continue to exceed that.
1: Catherine, I, yeah, no, go ahead.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I would. I would also say as, as to the question, well, how much how much profit is okay? Yeah. One thing to keep in mind is the damage that the oil industry has caused. I mean, this is an industry, what, one of the reasons that the transparency measures are so important. This is an industry that has known about the harm that their mm-hmm. dirty products caused to the climate for over half a century.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And what they decided to do was to lie about the climate science and block alternatives to their dirty products. So this is... A, and it's an industry that... Should be made to pay mm. for their damage. So I just want to, you know, add add that yes. <laughs> add that into the equation here. This is not just any industry that we're talking about.
1: No, it is not. And thank you for adding that. Let me uh, let me speak up, if you will, for the industry for a moment. Catherine Ray Rayhise, I'm not sure. Rayhise Boyd. Uh, she's the president and CEO of the Western State. Uh, Western States Petroleum Association, essentially a big oil lobbying group. She disputes the idea that there is any price gouging going on at all, apparently. I'm not sure how she explains those record profits, but she argues that the real reason the prices are going up is because there's just not enough supply. We need to drill more, essentially. She told uh, Grist, quote, What's happening right now is every policy we're passing, whether it's a windfall profits tax, which I don't think we've passed, whether it's a governor who won't issue permits on crude oil, whether it's restricting any kind of ability to get more oil to market, all of those things tighten supply and increase price, she claims. That, of course, is echoed by Republican officials at both the state and federal level. Cassie Siegel, your response to those questions? claims?
2: Well, as you have noted, the California oil refineries actually export about 12% of the gasoline refined here. Mm -hmm. So the problem is not supply, the problem is price gouging. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that the hearings on this legislation exposed is that, you know, (laughs) all industry observers, anybody with any expertise in this area, all, um, all say that the number one talking point of the oil industry, Mm -hmm. which is that California's life-saving health and climate protections are to blame is absolutely false. But unfortunately, this this is what the oil industry does is they they fight to block and roll back California policy Mm -hmm. on the basis of disinformation.
1: There was quite a bit of what I read to be uh, disinformation, Cassie, in the um, San Diego Union Tribune, which did an article on all of this, which sort of asked the question, uh, will Gavin Newsom's new law immediately lower gas prices? Now, the fact of the matter is, I don't believe that they ever said that this law would lower gas prices. and We'll get to that in a second. But uh, the paper just ran one person after another saying, no, 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 it won't do that. It won't do that. And giving the reasons why they didn't like the bill. Now, it sounds like, you know, when you got one person after one so-called expert after another saying, no, 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 it's not going to lower prices immediately – You think, well, that must be a failed bill, even though the bill did not intend to do that. What it intends to do is, you know, begin a process of transparency over these companies. There was one quote in there that I I do want to mention because I want to ask you about it. Alan Jin, University of San Diego, said if the oil companies are not gouging consumers in California, as they claim, they should have no fears, as the added transparency will, in fact, show that. Is he right about that?
2: That is an excellent point. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, I would say that we, you know, as soon as the bill was introduced,
1: mm-hmm.
2: we actually did see the refiner's profits and gas prices go down. Mm. And there is nothing like some sunshine Um, In the system to defer to to deter Mm -hmm. price gouging in the first place. Mm. And that is that is the number one intent of the legislation is to stop the price gouging from happening in the first place. Of course, there also needs to be um, enforcement ability and the ability to, to issue that penalty if it keeps happening.
1: Now, some environmental groups uh, have, in fact, criticized the new law because, uh, it, as, as claiming that it takes too long to get set up, to set up to provide consumers with immediate relief that they need from high gas prices, this based on the fact that it will take some months to establish this new oversight division uh, at the state. It'll take even longer to take meaningful action uh, that might you know, end up being reflected at the pump. What do you see as Problems or issues or concerns with the particular law uh, and its potential effectiveness as it is written, Cassie.
2: I think the legislature could have and should have done more and done it faster. They they could have been uh, uh, stronger with this. However, you know they they faced lobbying from. Um, the richest and most powerful industry on earth yep. Who were making all kinds of threats and mm-hmm. trying to intimidate them. Basically saying, I mean, they're, they they were basically in a veiled way saying, yeah, go ahead and do this. And we'll keep, we'll keep price gouging and we'll keep blaming gas prices on you. That is, that is a very potent threat from mm. the oil industry mm-hmm. and they've been very successful with it. Um, and so the bill that was, that was passed, um, uh, sets up a system and and gives it to the California energy commission to do the investigation and then to set the penalty. So that's a lot to put on the California energy commission Mm. and we will certainly need to, to hold them to it. However, there's a lot to love in this bill. I mean, there's a lot of good (laughs) government at work in this bill and sure, sure. It should have happened a long time ago. Sure. It could be stronger, but it is a very important, um, It is a very important step.
1: There's a lot to love in this bill. It's a lot of good government. Of course, that presumes you like government in the first place. And I've noticed, uh, you know, some in in. Uh, in other seemingly unrelated industries, uh, we were, were asked about this bill, interestingly enough, in the uh, uh, San Diego Union-Tribune in that piece I mentioned. Uh, Chris Van Gorder, for example, of Scripps Health told the uh, the paper, uh, quote, while I was as frustrated as anyone with the increased gas prices, we already have antitrust laws and regulations to manage monopolistic behaviors. It would become very problematic to start Passing industry-specific price gouging laws. Who would be next? He asked. The pharmaceutical industry. And of course, I thought to myself, Yeah, that's a great idea. How about the pharmaceutical industry? Make them next. He added. This is a very slippery slope. Well, I think I kind of like this slippery slope, Cassie. Uh, others have suggested that this same type of legislation could be applied to other industries, like the you know internet service, for example. Is there anything wrong in reading this article? It just kind of blew my mind because, you know, the presumption is there is something wrong about good government. There is something wrong about oversight of industry. Is there anything wrong with, you know, oversight setting maximum profit rates for industries that like the Internet, like healthcare, uh, like, of course, the oil and gas industry are all products that, you know, we need to live. You would think that this is a full communist takeover of these industries, the way some of these industry titans seem to be freaking out about it.
2: Absolutely. And in fact, attacking government regulation is part of the playbook. It's the big oil playbook. It's the big tobacco playbook. We see it again and again. You know, we we have a precedent for this, you know, back, back in the late 80s prop 103 imposed a reasonable rate of return on insurance companies and the insurance companies Mm. said if you do this it'll be a disaster (laughs) right the the insurance cure is going to flood the state Uh be a big problem but in fact the cost of liability uh insurance decreased Mm -hmm. by um by over five percent in Mm. california while increasing nationwide so it is in fact um a really important role for the for the government to play in protecting people.
1: Yeah, it really is the same old uh, song and dance, the same old arguments. It's, uh, you know, when it comes to climate, uh, the fossil fuel industry, of course, has been just repeating the efforts that big tobacco used uh, 20 years ago to uh, stop regulations against that deadly industry. And it's literally not just the same arguments, but it's the same people making the same arguments all these years later and using the same scare tactics. Uh, I've got just a a few more seconds here, uh, Cassie Siegel. But in the piece at Grist, you noted that the oil and gas industry recently spent uh, some 20 million dollars to place a referendum on next year's ballot here in the state that would roll back health protections for neighborhoods impacted by drilling in California, making one wonder, uh, well, how they plan next. They 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 were unsuccessful in stopping it at the state legislature, but it makes you wonder what they plan next for this measure, which could uh, really affect their bottom line. How uh, Do we have any sense yet of how big oil will now fight back? Are we expecting lawsuits against this measure? Uh, is there any room for those uh, as you see it? Uh, will there be efforts to nullify it via a, you know, fossil fuel funded ballot initiative. Uh, what can they do? Because I'm sure that whatever there is, they will do.
2: <laughs> yeah, so we have not um, we have not heard of a referendum being a uh, uh signature gathering process being initiated on this bill so far and it was actually announced the day after Mm -hmm. on um on the health protection zone bill that you mentioned i i do anticipate that the oil companies will fiercely resist the um efforts to investigate them but the state of california um has the power to do it and we need the governor um we need the governor to be said steadfast and to keep going against this industry to to make sure that the oversight does happen on the price gouging and to protect people from oil wells in neighborhoods. It's extremely unfortunate that the oil industry was able to stay implementation of that important new health law Mm. by spending $20 million Mm -hmm. to put it on the ballot. But the good news is is that the governor has the power right now to protect people from oil industry pollution. He can issue rules to ensure no new wells where people live, work, and go to play, and in fact, no new oil and gas wells anywhere in California, and he needs to do that. He has the power. He has the power to ensure that the oil industry pays to clean up after itself. There's 100,000 oil wells around the state that need to be secured and the sites remediated. Mm -hmm. The oil industry is legally obligated to pay for it, but they would like nothing better than to... um, push those push those uh, mm-hmm. costs off onto the public but the governor can prevent it. Yeah. And then of course, oh mm-hmm. no, go ahead. Oh, and 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 then finally, you know, keep speeding the transition to clean transportation. California has taken important steps. It can do more and lead the nation by accelerating the shift to 100% zero emission vehicles and by investing more in clean public transportation so people can get where they need to go and drive less.
1: The governor, uh, as he at the I believe was at the signing ceremony for this bill, had mentioned in his remarks that last year in the fourth quarter, nearly a quarter of new car sales were electric vehicle uh, sales. Great news, although not great enough that <laughs> we need to somehow get that higher. And I'm wondering, is there anything that we can or should do to push the governor, uh, Cassie, to, to to take those steps you're talking about?
2: Absolutely. Push the governor. Um, you can you can visit biologicaldiversity.org for ways you can get involved and take action or lastchancealliance.org, the statewide network of Um, groups working to end the fossil fuel era in California Mm -hmm. Um, and it is it is just absolutely essential you know as the UN Secretary General says in issuing these um, these worldwide scientific assessments we need everything everywhere all at once (laughs) the governor has taken some good steps he's saying some very good things but we do all need to push him To to step it up and keep going the um, the oil industry, the oil industry is watching those Mm -hmm. electric car sales, Mm -hmm. and that's going to accelerate and it's just so essential that the governor use all the powers that he has to minimize the damage that this industry does on its way out the
1: door. Happy to give him credit where it is deserved, and I think he does deserve credit here. Also happy to keep pushing him to do still more any way that we can. Cassie Siegel is the director of the nonprofit Center for Biological Diversity's Climate Law Institute and the climate director for the Center's Action Fund. You can find uh, them, as she noted, biologicaldiversity.org. You can find her on the Twitters at Cassie Siegel, and the center itself is also on Twitter at Center for BioDiv, Cassie Siegel, really appreciate you joining us today. Very insightful, very helpful, and uh, looks look forward to speaking you uh, speaking to you again in the future with hopefully more good news just like this. Thank you, Cassie.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: You bet. All right, we got to take a uh, we got to get to a quick break here. We'll come back with our second guest of the day, uh, but Desi Doyen, I don't know if you uh, heard because uh, you were on the phone there uh, with someone. Uh, Cassie said uh, we need to do everything everywhere all at once.
2: <laughs> that is the when theme it comes to... of uh, of everything these days. Isn't I mean, it, yes, we really we really do have to do everything everywhere all at once, and it'll turn out great.
1: <laughs> all right, we need to. Uh, everything will be fine, I'm sure. Uh, we do need to take a quick. Break. Break Uh, After we return, however, the bizarre, uh, frankly twisted, in my opinion, ruling by a far-right religious religious extremist activist federal judge on Friday attempting to overturn the FDA's more than 20-year-old approval of a critical abortion pill uh, and a lawsuit that has yet to get much attention out of Idaho, where doctors uh, licensed to practice medicine – are now being threatened if they so much as even tell a patient that they may legally get an abortion in a different state where the practice is not yet banned. Attorney uh, Ernest A. Canning will join us next for that on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
2: And thanks.
1: Welcome back. It's, it's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. The Justice Department on Monday appealed an extraordinary court ruling by a federal judge in Texas on Friday that would overrule... The Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, it would overrule the FDA, one judge overrule the FDA and halt approval of the most commonly used method of abortion in the United States. The Department of Justice described the court ruling by far-right activist Trump-appointed U.S. District Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, quote, "Uh, to be an extraordinary and to be extraordinary and unprecedented. They're right. The request to the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, unfortunately one of the most right-wing appeals courts in the nation, that was filed just days after conflicting court rulings over the legality of the abortion medication Mifepristone put in doubt, access to the drug that has been widely available for more than 20 years now after first being approved by the FDA back in 2000. It has since been found to be safer than Tylenol or Viagra. Kaczmarek issued his decision on Friday but ruled that it would not take effect for seven days. And now the Biden administration has asked the New Orleans-based appellate court uh, to extend the pause on the Texas order. If allowed to take effect, the Justice Department wrote the court's order would thwart FDA's scientific judgment and severely harm women particularly those for whom mifepristone is a medical or practical necessity. Throughout his ruling, Kaczmarek used language often invoked by the anti-abortion movement, referring to abortion providers as, quote, abortionists, and characterizing mifepristone as being used, quote, to kill the unborn human. Just to give you an idea of who that guy is, he's a federal judge. It is unlikely uh, an, an accident that Kazmarek, a far-right Christian activist with a long history of anti-abortion views, issued his ruling on this case on Good Friday. Judge Kazmarek's decision came at nearly the same time as a separate federal judge in the state of Washington directed U.S. authorities not to make any changes that would restrict access to the drug in at least 17 states where Democrats had sued. And while those whiplash decisions play out in court, our our own long-toiling legal contributor at bradblog.com filed a piece today regarding a new lawsuit filed by doctors and Planned Parenthood in Idaho to challenge what is arguably the most extreme anti-abortion legislation in the country. Idaho's near Total ban on abortion, as Canning reports today, was a so-called trigger law that took effect last summer after the Supreme Court overturned Roe in its infamous Dobbs decision. Idaho's state law has no exceptions, but but it allows a provider charged once you're charged with performing an illegal abortion to try to prove at least in court, that the procedure was needed to save the life of the mother or resulted from rape or incest reported to law enforcement. Otherwise, it mandates two to five years in prison for a provider convicted of providing an abortion and the suspension of the medical license of a provider who assists one. But The suit that Ernie reports about today at Bradblog.com does not even challenge those provisions of the law. Rather, it cites a legal opinion by the state's attorney general, Raul Labrador, asserting that Idaho's law now, quote, prohibits an Idaho medical provider from referring a woman across state lines to access abortion services, concluding that informing a patient. About the availability of lawful abortions elsewhere in other states, that amounts to, quote, assisting an abortion in violation of Idaho state law. That violation, the attorney general added, would trigger a suspension of a medical provider's license to practice medicine in the state. That's right. Doctors in Idaho are now barred from even telling their patients that they can get legal reproductive services in other states, and they can lose their ability to practice medicine if they do so which the plaintiffs suing in federal court describe as violations of the Constitution's first amendment free speech clause as well as the interstate commerce clause and the 14th amendment's right to due process. Joining us now for more on this is Ernest A. Canning, as noted, a longtime bradblog.com legal contributor and uh, usually happy retired happily retired attorney. Welcome back to the broadcast, amigo. Do we have you there, Ernest Canning? Hi, Brian. How Hi, are can you, sir? you hear me? Yes, I can indeed Thank you, sir, for joining us. Uh, hey, Ernie, let's uh, let's start with the uh, Texas ruling by this uh, Judge Kazmarek. Uh, you wrote about. Um about him you in fact you warned about him really in a very helpful a detailed explainer at Brad Blog back in February that I will link to when I post today's show uh, trying to give a heads up that the quote nation, uh, nationwide right to medication abortion was now at stake that was your headline but you had argued in fact that the case filed in Texas with Casmaric uh, purposely filed there by the way because any federal suit in uh, filed in North Texas specifically goes to this religious anti-abortion zealot uh as the only federal judge in amarillo texas that that case should have been simply dismissed entirely for several reasons what were those uh reasons the main ones and and how did kaczmarek overcome them in his ruling on friday ernie
3: well he didn't really overcome them in, in a he tended to um ignore certain mm. issues he, mm. yeah, the first is that none of these physician uh uh, uh, plaintiffs who mm-hmm. do not prescribe uh, um have standing. In other words, there's no way they're really injured by this decision. The more important one, and this is because of time limits I'd like to just focus on, mm-hmm. because I compared, I hadn't seen, by the way, the DOJ's appeal today. I don't know if it's just a notice or an extended one, but they filed a, an excellent uh, opposition to the motion for summary judgment. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the 2000 approval by fda uh that was issued uh 23 years ago almost and it was uh, at the time when uh, bill clinton was still in office right they have uh they didn't decide they the uh physicians filed a petition citizen's petition challenging that ruling in 2002 Mm -hmm. and the fda uh delayed until 2016 when they denied it but it was everybody concedes that the denial came down more than six years before this new case was filed. And there's a hard and fast statute of limitations that would have barred it. Well, the thing that uh, the plaintiffs argued and the, um, uh, the DOJ established was, was invalid was this idea, and this is how he decided the case. He said, well, if you reconsider an original opinion, then uh, the statute of limitations is eliminated. Well, the problem with that is that the they were uh, the physicians filed a petition challenging a 2016 decision, which mm-hmm. which essentially all it did was extend, for example, from 46 days to 70 days that a woman can obtain this drug, mm-hmm. and uh, it did nothing to reconsider mm. the uh, the original. Uh, uh, approval back in 2000 and what the DOJ's opposition said is that a denial the reopening uh, doctrine only applies if there is an entire context demonstrating that the agency has undertaken a serious substantive reconsideration of an existing ruling mm-hmm. in the 2021 denial of the 2019 petition mm-hmm. uh, which they say can't be construed as broader than what it considered the petition that the, that the petitioners filed did not challenge the original uh, 2000 decision. Mm-hmm. The, to the contrary, they just challenged the changes that were made and asked them to reinstate uh, the decision as it originally was. So it was clear that this does not apply. And for Kazmarek to go in and decide it on that ground without even mentioning what he was informed of by the DOJ shows me not only that uh, he made a bad decision, but that he was so intellectually dishonest in how he got around the statute of limitations uh, to hand this decision that really there should be an issue of impeachment and removal of judges um, huh. like him yeah. from the bench. Yeah. It's a lifetime appointment.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, good luck with that. I mean, essentially, if I'm understanding it, basically, uh, they're claiming that, oh, if you if you reopen, if you reconsider one of these drugs, that that somehow uh, starts the clock over again, starts that six-year clock over again. And in fact, it actually doesn't, that what the FDA was looking at were small changes, actually expansions, uh uh, of the use of this drug uh, and somehow Kasmeric walked through that door. I can only hope that the uh, appellate court sees through it. On the other hand, the appellate court is the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, Ernie. The uh, Justice Department lawyers uh, said in their appeal, quote, the uh, judge's ruling upended decades of reliance by blocking FDA's approval of Mifepristone and depriving patients of access to this safe and effective treatment based on the court's own misguided assessment of the drug drugs safety and they add uh, frankly what uh, folks would have known had they read your story about 2 months ago on this Ernie quote plaintiffs lack standing to challenge FDA's approval of a drug that they neither take nor prescribe in other words uh, They have no uh, no injury to them. And yet somehow they're allowed to continue suing here. The DOJ says their challenge to FDA actions dating back to 2000 is manifestly untimely. And they have provided no basis for second guessing FDA's scientific judgment, according to the appeal.
3: Well, there's one reason why I think even the Fifth Circuit is going to have to issue an emergency stay. There is no way. That the FDA can comply with this order without violating a conflicting order that was issued by a federal judge in this in uh, a case called uh, uh, State of Washington versus FDA, mm-hmm. and what the only difference is this particular order that Kaczmarek, uh handed down applies to the entire nation. Uh, uh, the judge in the other case had limited to the the plaintiffs in the case, which were the state AGs from 14 states and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the District of Columbia. I'm disappointed to say California was not one of those states.
1: Yeah, we kind of, uh, I don't know why we didn't join that one. Let me jump, since I'm short on time here, Ernie, uh, again, I will point folks to your uh, piece on the Texas case, as well as the one uh, today that you published uh, in Idaho, uh, which is just amazing, where they have, you know, perhaps the most draconian anti-abortion law in the nation. The attorney general there is now threatening to suspend the licenses of physicians who merely tell their patients... Well, you know, they can't perform an abortion, uh, but they may, you know, go to uh, receive a legal abortion in a different state. Planned Parenthood and a number of the state uh, doctors have filed a federal suit. They claim this aspect of the law is a violation of the Constitution on several grounds. But the most obvious seems to me to be simply freedom of speech, Ernie. A doctor cannot give his or her patient's advice on a medical issue
3: like abortion. Well, that is that is core, and particularly because it's a content-based regulation, it's presumed unconstitutional under the First Amendment. Uh, what what they what does that mean? A con- is, what is, does that
1: mean? A content-based restriction. In
3: other words, if you if you make a regulation that's based on the the content of your speech as mm. opposed to time and place and that sort of thing, ah, I see. Okay. Uh, then the courts presume that it's unconstitutional, and they have to show a compelling governmental interest in order to have a content-based restriction mm-hmm. on First Amendment speech. It's not just the doctors. It, the doctors are saying they have an ethical obligation to provide uh, um, a complete uh, uh, care. These are these doctors are all OBGYNs. Mm-hmm. And the patient has a right to receive that kind of information from their physician. That's why they go in. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is, you're really invading what is supposed to be a confidential relationship between physician and patient when you're saying, I want to know what you told this person because after they went to you, they, w- they went to another state and got the abortion. And uh, so you've, mm. you've got that issue that comes up in it. They're arguing it's a violation of interstate commerce. And the interesting thing is one of the physicians in this case, he doesn't, pr- for in, in compliance with Idaho law, he does not provide uh, abortions in Idaho, but he does provide them lawful abortions in another state. Mm. And if he were to simply make an appointment for his, uh, uh, you know, his Idaho patients so that they can come see him in his, his other office, that's somehow violating the law and his, his license is going to be suspended. Wow. Wow. I, I this
1: is I, – I, you know, I, don't, I don't think we've uh, even gotten close to the end of how bad this is going to get. After all of this, Ernie Canning, do you, do you still have enough confidence in our federal judiciary, uh, including the corrupt far-right extreme activist U.S. Supreme Court? Do you have confidence at this point after all your decades of practice in law? I know you revere the judiciary system, but do, do you have confidence that
3: they will do I, I... the right thing on, on both of these cases? I, I have I and have had for years had major problems with what one pro- law professor calls radicals and robes, right-wing radicals and robes, which right now we have six of them on the U.S. Supreme Court. And I think the, the refreshing thing is that for over a half century, the Republicans have understood the importance of judiciary in getting what they want and in packing the courts. Mm-hmm. And it's only in these last few elections that we're seeing the public at large beginning to realize how important the judiciary is. And I I think if there's a a bright light on the horizon, it just came from Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, where the uh, liberals have finally uh, taken a majority in the Supreme Court last week, uh, in no small part because the uh, judge that ran uh, ran on the right to abortion and uh I, a message received at least to all of us we'll see if the
3: republicans have figured it
1: out yet i don't well, think they have i if got i can add one thing
3: real quickly, quick. When yeah I, when uh I, I can remember in past elections like uh, when you know biden was running i mean you know i would prefer bernie sanders And mm-hmm. but my friends that were to the left of that you know with the green party i tried to make them understand that there is a huge difference between whether a Democrat or a Republican gets in and the judiciary is the primary difference that we're looking at.
1: Mm. It's, it's, The primary, it is one, frankly, of many uh, that I think people need to understand. And it's just so unbelievably lazy to say, oh, both parties are the same, Republicans, Democrats. There's no difference. Well, there actually uh, absolutely is. Uh, Just ask uh, some of the folks in uh, some of the women in Texas, in Idaho, who need medical care that they're not allowed to get or some of the doctors who may lose their license for the crime of practicing medicine. Uh, Ernie, I'll uh, point to uh, both of your excellent pieces uh, when we post the show tonight at Bradblog.com. Ernie Canning is uh, Bradblog.com's long toiling uh, legal analyst and contributor. You can find him also on the Twitters at Can, that's C-A-N-N, the number four I-N-G, Can for I-N-G. Ernie, thank you, sir, for all. We will talk to you very soon.
3: Thank you. All
1: right, that wraps us up. We have got to get out here. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our board operator, Wendell Handy, and to uh, my guest today, Cassie Siegel of the Center for Biological Diversity, and Ernie Canning. And, of course, my thanks to you for all of your support. Uh, and spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it any time for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the BradBlog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. Hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate.